and welcome back to Say It With Your Whole Chest, the podcast. I'm your host, Jess, also known as the Fat Funny One, and welcome. If this is your first time listening, then Say It With Your Whole Chest is an opportunity for us to have open conversations with real people talking about real things. And basically, people want to say what they want to say with their whole chest. It's a fun and uplifting podcast, and we have real stories that we want to tackle and real, maybe sometimes difficult conversations to have. This week's episode was with a beautiful, beautiful friend of mine, Michelle Elman, also known online as Scarred Not Scared. She went viral a few years ago for an incredible picture that she posted after 15 childhood surgeries. She posted a picture of her scars and went completely viral and it has completely taken off for her. We discussed the incredible second book that she has written, The Joy of Being Selfish. And the main topic of this podcast is boundaries, how to enforce them, what do you do? I talk about it a lot. We discuss it a lot on the set with your whole chest lives on a Saturday night, especially when it comes to those mother-in-laws. You guys seem to have some serious issues with the mother-in-laws and we discuss it. We talk about it and Michelle gives some really brilliant tips. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. All of Michelle's details are down below, including the link to her first book from 2018, Am I Ugly? And her second book, The Joy of Being Selfish. If you've got any questions, want to submit a guest, want to submit a question, a story, whatever that might be, check out the email address below, which is sayitwithyourwholechest at gmail.com. But it's the initials of that. You'll work it out. It's down below. But thank you again for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy. And this week I have got an incredible guest. It is the lovely Michelle. Oh, it is so amazing to talk to you. I I know. Let's just pretend we haven't like completely been chatting for like two million hours. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's just, I've been alone and like it's a familiar face and we had a lot to catch up on. We had a lot to catch up on, but thank you so much for being a guest. I do really, really appreciate it. But we are going to talk about something that, Everyone is kind of talking about at the moment, but something that you are the queen of. I'm going to just put it out there. But we're going to talk about a lot of things, but particularly boundaries. Yeah. So I think a lot of people talk about it, but if you ask the average person to set boundaries or define boundaries, that's where you kind of get to a roadblock because... And very simply, how I explain boundaries is that boundaries is what isn't an is okay about how you treat me. It's the line between me and you and what separates us as individuals, which especially becomes important when it comes to romantic relationships or familial relationships, because when you don't have a line between two people, what ends up happening is codependency or enmeshment. And so to know that your emotions are separate, that your jobs are like, what is your job is your job and you need to take care of that including your emotions and for me I'll take care of what's on my side of the road I'm like well that's it now sorry everyone that's it we're going you've just explained it all in like one small snippet but just to give people some background so I followed you for like 10 billion years actually like I legit I actually don't know how long it's been but it has been like at least four or five years yeah at least four or five years that's crazy I had one kid now I've got three like that's how long it's been (laughs) let's just go by kid numbers I had one and now I've got three yeah that it's been some time and you have I, I started and came across your page because you talk a lot about body positivity and that's how I kind of came across 
um, your page and then I would like completely fell in love with all of your content. And obviously this podcast is called Say It With Your Whole Chest and you are someone <laughs> that embodies that wholeheartedly. Well, I'm told I sometimes go too far, but I just don't know how to rein it back anymore because like, unfortunately, I have a job that allows me to freely be myself. And so I've never had, to, like, you know how it's like, oh, I can be myself when I get home, but I still put that mask on when I go to my job. Mm. I'm like, eh, I don't need to do that anymore. And I'm single, so I get to choose the next. <laughs> like, I don't have to put a mask on for the guy I'm dating because, like, that's how they're meeting me now. They didn't yeah. meet me, like, five years ago when I had no boundaries. And so... Yeah, I do. I do say it how it is. But you know what? My life is so much simpler just because I say what I mean and I mean what I say. And yes, some people think I'm rude. Some people think I am short, aggressive, however you want to put it. But how I phrase it is I'm a very efficient person. Like if I'm annoyed at you, you'll know because I'll tell you and I will literally say the words I'm annoyed at you. You don't have to second guess it. If I have an issue with you, I will say it to your face. I'm not going to say it behind your back. So mm. I just think all of this is part of good boundaries. And yeah, so how I started online was um, a campaign called Scar Not Scared because I've had 15 surgeries uh, and I had a lot of surgery scars from it. So I'm a life coach. And when I initially became a life coach, I very much specialized in body confidence. And after doing that for about four or five years, actually it was the lack of boundaries from everyone else in the community that kind of made me want to get out of it it's because when you are a body positive person online and especially how i became known for essentially going viral for my trauma everyone feels like they're entitled to every piece of you and i just yeah. got to the point where i was like this is not sustainable it is not healthy and also i have a brain like can someone please acknowledge my brain and also i got resentful of every time anyone wanted to do a photo shoot on me they were like great now get the scars out and i'm like can you not refer to them like it's it's my like quality watch on my wrist like yeah. this is like my worst trauma so that's kind of why i started being like you know what i fell in love with life coaching first that's what i'm truly passionate about i've always been like a psychology nerd. I love life coaching. And if I genuinely ask myself, like what's changed my life the most at one point in my life, five years ago, it would have been getting body confidence because that being fat, be having scars was the thing that held me back. But if you ask me now, what's the thing that changed my life? I would say boundaries because as much as body confidence gave me that space and that time and energy to get rid of Although, you, you know, when you hate your body, it just takes up a lot of time. And oh, God. Like, I'm like, you're preaching to the choir, girl. Like, but, 100%, that's where my journey was. Body confidence was kind of the first step into my self-acceptance journey, into boundaries, into other areas of my life. It was the first part. Yeah. But now I look back and I think, I used to think that was the whole thing. And it wasn't. No, it's so it, much bigger than that. You can have body confidence without having self-esteem. And that's what I realized was I had confidence. I didn't have esteem. And esteem very much comes from inside. And what I think I picked up on, which like almost put a neon, bright neon light above it, was the fact that I was still not very good at spending time alone and mm -hmm. that I was so uncomfortable with alone time that it was this sentence my life coach said to me where she was like, you're not okay spending time alone because you don't like yourself. And I was like, huh, 
okay, so I love my body now. Yeah. I'm just not sure about the person who's inside the body. That's I've literally been there. I'm like, I remember doing a post a couple of years ago where I said I was home alone and I didn't put anything on. I didn't put the telly on. I didn't put the radio on. I didn't put a podcast. I put nothing and I started to cry because I was so proud of myself. Because for me, it was a moment where I realized I was comfortable being yeah. on my own because I always had to drown out the silence of, and I had to drown out my own thoughts with the television. Even if I wasn't watching it, I just wanted it on in the background. Yeah. I had to do something. I had to keep busy. I had to text a friend or there had to be someone or something else going on. And I just realized that actually I was totally comfortable being on my own in the silence and enjoying that and I thought okay I've got somewhere now <laughs> so that moment for me was a, well the first thing that was kind of an issue was I didn't use tv I didn't use music I used people so mm. I had like 30 best friends which <laughs> I don't know how the hell any adult has 30 best friends so first of all I had to address that but then I ended up being forced to live alone like a year and a half ago, maybe about two years now. And that was my biggest fear. And like, this sounds really stupid, but that year my dad got cancer and I was scared. I was really scared for yeah, that. Of but I was also more scared about living alone. And like, that was just the moment where I was like, that shouldn't even be close to on the same level, but it was. And it was like a gen. it wasn't just a fear of like, being alone, I was worried about my sanity. I was worried about my, my mental health. And I was actually worried about my safety as well. Because mm. I was like, so it was all of that that brought that up. And I was just like, I mean, considering I've been in a pandemic alone for the last year, there have been moments where I would be like, I am too good at being alone. <laughs> You've gone the complete opposite end now. You're like, I'm never going to have any best friends. I'm going to be on my own forever. It's great. <laughs> genuinely, I've been alone for two weeks. And today was the first time I was like, I'm bored. No one's around. And I was like, yeah, but no one's been around for two weeks. It took you two weeks to notice. <laughs> which, which just proves how far you've come because yeah. it is being alone is hard. And you're right to worry about all of those things because even if you look at the narratives that are painted about women who are on their own, even in films, something bad happens. Or yeah. like it literally you're very rarely shown uh, you know, an independent woman who lives on her own, who's thriving, who's doing really well, you know, who's that just isn't really a narrative that we are sold. Also, if you put together a woman who lives on her own, who has a somewhat successful career and is single, that narrative is that's how you're going to stay the rest of your life. You are never going <laughs> like you've chosen it. You are the career woman. You are going to be that woman at 50 years old who has a lot of accomplishments to their name, but no people like. Mm. And so you can you can get into that spiral a lot. And then you're just like, that's not real life. That is the narrative that we're sold and I have choices in my life to choose otherwise and if I want to make a fam family or a relationship a priority next year I can do that I mean this year maybe not so much the pandemic <laughs> yeah, maybe you don't choose the year with the pandemic thing like no. best year to choose but next year <laughs> maybe next year <laughs> but it's, isn't it funny how no matter what the narrative is we pick ones that have been preset for us and mm. think we have to fit into one of them and one of the massive things for me has been unlearning that and thinking sod all of these narratives why can't we just create our own because they are literally it's like preset and you just have to pick one that you think okay that's the one that I'm going to go for and I'm going to sit in that box and I'm going to be in that one and that's it and you, you don't you literally can create anything you want 
But also there is no positive one to pick from. You can only pick negative ones. And that's <laughs> that's the problem. True. But yeah, also I think so much of what I talk about in the book is that so much about boundaries is about unlearning what you've learned. Mm. Because if you ask, I mean, you have kids. If you ask a one-year-old, if you take a one-year-old's toy, they will scream no at you. I mean, you were talking about it earlier. Isabella yeah. will like scream no at you. Yeah, literally scream in my face. Yeah. Word, no, you didn't need to teach it to her. She yeah. knows the word no. It's just over time and I, I don't like blaming parents no one's a perfect parent but I parent but over time it just becomes easier to parent a child with no boundaries mm-hmm. where like if if they're crying and you teach them it's impolite to cry or it's rude to speak up it's also what's taught in schools so sit down shut up and do as you're told and then somehow mm-hmm. you're meant to be an adult and the rules are different, but no one told you, hey, look, the rules change now. So you just carry on doing that. And then you're expected to be vocal in meetings and all of these things. And you're like, well, I how? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah how? And I was like, and I also always got told that was a bad thing. So like, I remember in university worrying over an email for about an hour because I didn't know whether from school to uni, you changed the how you refer to a teacher or professor so i was sat at the email i'm not even joking an hour like considering i'm the queen of boundaries now an hour going do i write chris or do i write dr benson i still have that issue now with my kids school like when the teacher is i'm like hi miss <laughs> i'm like i don't know that's a woman and i'm still like hi miss thank you thank you miss. You, you don't know what the rules are and then yeah. It's also, I think, specifically with women, because it's this like preoccupation with not coming across as rude, being a likable mm-hmm. person, polite. Not aggressive, bit polite. Mm-hmm. And also, how many people then ask me, because I do a Q&A every Monday on Instagram, every time I get asked, ne- not every time, nearly every time, it's always, how do I set this boundary with this person without being rude? And the main thing I say to them is if you still, if with the without being rude part means you're still focusing on them, you're still focusing on their reaction yeah. or their perception of you, because rude is actually not a fact. It is a perception and they can still perceive you as rude at your most polite. Rude is not a word when you're being rude. Rude is a word when you're doing what they don't want you to do. Because there's differences. Anything can be perceived differently to everybody, can't it? Because even culturally, there's differences that some cultures just might perceive as rude or inappropriate that others wouldn't yeah so the reality is like you said it's, it's not necessarily about you or it's about how the other person perceives it and you have no control over what that will be and when i do say with your whole chest live literally people flood all the times with issues around in- mother-in-laws this seems to be a thing but boundaries around mother-in-laws or you know she just turns up at my house or she says this or you know i just go along with it because I don't want to be rude or I just do this because and I get it I totally get it but also part of me is like why do we worry again it comes back to worrying what everybody thinks and how everybody perceives us and we put everybody else before we put ourselves like you're literally worrying more about them than you are about yourself which when you put it like that is scary the danger with mother-in-laws or father-in-laws is it's naturally in its creation, a triangle relationship. So Mm. it's you, your partner and their parent. And so it's 
Anytime you're in any triangle dynamic, get out of it. Your relationship with your mother-in-law is actually separate to your relationship with your partner. Mm. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. So when, and this is a boundary you have to set with your partner as well as with the mother-in-law where you say like, your your mother can treat you like that, but doesn't mean I have to put up with your mother treating me like that. Or like, I don't have to worry about how you feel. Like you can be embarrassed about how I speak to your mother, but like, if your mother's going to speak to me in a certain way, then I'm going to speak back in a certain way. And like, that's not to do with you. Like you can treat your relationship separately. We have our separate relationship. And in the same vein, your mother-in-law can't interfere in our relationship because it's a separate relationship. And it's this triangle dynamic that just leads to someone always being in a worse off position because in order for two people to be one up or one person to be one up two people have to be one down and so it then becomes messy and so if you're in a triangle dynamic get out of it make sure you treat all relationships as separate relationships and have no one else involved in your relationships Oh, that is going to help so many people. I cannot even tell you how many how many people message every week and they're just like, I can't cope with my mother-in-law or sister-in-law or brother or whatever. Mother-in-laws seem to be the most popular. I have no idea why. Um, but they seem to be the person that people struggle with the most. And I think a lot of that, especially I can speak from experience, is cultural, is that respect element. You know, they're, they're an elder, they're an adult, not even though we're all adults. They're someone that you should respect. There's this level of hierarchy in families. But actually, boundaries are and should be imposed no matter who you are yeah. or where you are. And even going back to looking at the kids, it's something that I... I talked about once on a live and it was so mixed in terms of the response. So one of the things that me and Trevor do is if the kids don't want to hug someone, not that they can hug anybody in the last like year, but if they don't want to hug someone or be on the phone to someone, then we don't make them like that's totally fine. That's something that they're not comfortable doing. And someone was saying, you know, but, how rude like don't people think your kid is rude I don't care like yeah. at first yeah I did at first I did because I wanted my kids to be seen as polite and you know yeah. that's that's what you want you want to be perceived as a good parent and again it comes really back down to how you want to be perceived because yeah. if your kid is well behaved then you're seen as a good parent it's not actually about the child this is actually an example in the book because I oh I, really I, oh brilliant I use it with tickling as well like mm-hmm. if a kid tells you not to t- and it's funny because I had this experience with a two-year-old, almost three-year-old recently, where he wanted to get a carpet and he kept running over being like, help me get this carpet. And I said, why can't you get the carpet yourself? And he was like, oh, because one of one of the other friends keeps tickling me and she's standing in front of the room. So I said, you go up to her and you say to her, do not tickle me. And I like wagged my finger. And <laughs> I I guess I didn't, I didn't realize, I, I don't have kids. So I didn't realize he would do it literally, but they <laughs> will. So he went up, up to this friend and went, do not tickle me. And then he came back with his carpet. And he, I was like, you got your carpet? And he was like, yes. I said, do not tickle me. <laughs> and as, and wagging his finger was the cutest thing. And I couldn't stop laughing. But I was trying not to laugh because I was like, no, I'm teaching him boundaries. This mm. Then the mother saw it and the mother went, we do not speak to people like that. And I was like, Okay, well, first of all, you just wagged your finger at him while telling him, <laughs> so we do not see. But also, I just taught him boundaries and you just taught him 
to undo it, like that that was a bad thing. But I was like, he was like someone was touching him in a way he didn't want to be touched. He was trying to get something. He wanted to do something that this woman was standing in the way of. Like, what's wrong with that? Okay, maybe he shouldn't have wagged his finger. And like, as an adult, if I was speaking to you and I was like, don't speak to me like that or don't touch me that way, I wouldn't wag my finger at you. Yeah. But like it's- it's, You were just being animated because he was a child. That's just just how you would be talking to a child it's it's this principle you can actually teach it at that Mm. age and like another example i use in the book is um a friend of mine whose 10 year old came home from school really upset because her friend kept bitching about her other friends and so her mum said to her well then go back to school and say if you want to be my friend then you're going to have to stop gossiping about other people i don't like it so she went to school did that came back home the next day and was like she kept doing it she said then you go back to school and said you remember what we spoke about yesterday I said, if you want to be my friend, then you have to stop gossiping. Otherwise, we can't be friends. So she went and set that boundary. She held the boundary the next day. And the, the girls stopped gossiping. And I was like, this is 10 years old. And I don't know about you, but at 10 years old, I was so concerned with being like, but that parent my friend has actually taught her it is more important you hold your values yes. than to be liked. And you can dictate your friendship group because if you're in a group and you're saying that someone, if you want to be friends with me, then you have to stop gossiping. The whole group stops gossiping. And that's how it works. You become the leader of the group and people copy your behavior. But when you're, you want to be liked, and this continues on into secondary school, when you want to be liked, you naturally fall, fall into the leadership, like in the follower position, because you copy essentially the person who ends up being the most confident or the most vocal or the person yeah. who's better at hiding it. Yeah, because you want you just uh, 10, 11, 12, 25. I just wanted to be liked. Yeah, so I would go along with with anything. And it is it is difficult. I think the biggest narrative or the biggest issue people have is this politeness narrative, like you're rude or you're not being polite. So this is the thing. Politeness essentially is code for you have to stay in line for the role that society has given you. And mm. the role society has given women is to be the martyr, to give everything out of, of yourself and be completely selfless, which I don't want that role. And I also have other dreams and ambitions that don't involve taking care of other people, especially when they should be taking care of themselves. And so mm. that's where, like, obviously, you have kids, that's your moral duty, that is your actual duty, that is your job to look after those children. But you don't need to be looking after, like, adults who can take care of themselves, and you don't need to be looking after anyone's emotions. Even your child can manage their own emotions, and you can teach them. You can teach them how to actually process their emotions and that will serve them well and a lot better than you holding their anger because some kid in school stole their backpack or whatever it is like you can actually teach them how you handle that situation yourself and then when it happens in the future and they they're angry the next time or sad the next time then they actually have the experience of doing it themselves because we we try really hard you know i'm not definitely not the perfect parent like absolutely not i definitely well, lose i saw mind, a like, parenting right before school and i was very impressed i i just i find it really important to i don't want to say right the wrongs but to teach them things now that i wish i had learned and every parent i think does their best and they 
parent in you know based on the circumstances that they're in at the time and what they know they can only parent in that and i have learned so much which is why i find it really important for us to talk about so like even when we kiss them goodnight we ask their permission which at first was really strange because it was like why but if i said oh can mommy give you a kiss goodnight and if they say yes i give them a kiss and if they go no which isabella pretty much always says then we don't like yeah. and even if we're messing about or playing I don't then go to do it and go ha ha just give mummy a kiss like I don't do any of that we yeah. literally go oh okay then and someday she'll just come up to you and kiss you and someday she won't and that's totally fine but we've definitely left it up to them and those tiny little things I hope as they get older they understand that well no my mum used to if my mum asked for my permission and that was something that I had control over then I've got control to you know set boundaries in place whenever and wherever I have to do that and I think that's really really important one of the things I was going to say is why do you think I know we've talked about this politeness but why else do you think people struggle with setting boundaries the most so I lay out seven obstacles and I genuinely think these are the only seven obstacles that people come up with and I've racked my brain for all the reasons but things like the guilt after setting boundaries especially born out of this politeness thing that like women feel guilty for having needs women feel guilty for putting their needs before others if you don't know what you feel which a lot of people if they've um, disassociated from how they feel if you say to them how do you actually feel they don't know and mm. learning how to reconnect that is a long process but a worthy one and one which you need to do in order to set boundaries or they don't know what to say or there's the fear of gaslighting which happens a lot when people set boundaries and if you aren't certain in your own memories and how you feel there's a lot of questioning like are my feelings too much are my needs too much and like I get these questions every day like am I being unreasonable if I ask blah and like and my answer to all those questions is I'm never going to say you are being unreasonable your needs are too much or that your feelings are too much what I will tell you is that you might be going to the wrong person for it Mm. and so that person might be the wrong person to fulfill your needs but your your feelings are never too much and if you start on that principle i'm not saying you're never going to be gaslit but it very much limits the effect gaslighting has on you as a person because that's essentially what they're trying to do they're trying to get you to trust their memory more than your own and their feelings and their emotions more than your own and so if you're certain in yourself and that's what boundaries do when i say boundaries are the line between me and you it also means who i am is very concrete and like in what's the word where you can't puncture a hole in a box kind of thing (laughs) like that's essentially it like it's like this is me and you can't you can't invade my space you can't Mm. invade who like you can't tell me who i am because i already know who i am and that's because of my boundaries is that yes you can call me rude and aggressive i've had it before it's nothing new who cares like but I know who I am. If you call me stubborn, I'll go, yeah, I can be stubborn. It's led to some really inconvenient things in my life, but it's also led to a lot of successes in my life. But if you said, I don't know, that I'm I'm an uncaring person, I'd be like, I don't know who you're talking about. That's not me. Like, I care deeply about a lot yeah. of things. Like, I might not care about you specifically. It doesn't make me an uncaring person. <laughs> I love that. It's true, isn't it? I've definitely found that while being online, I've had to, and and I guess that's where I've got the, I guess the courage to do it. 
but I found that it's the one place that I set boundaries more so. And I kind of guess the last year I've really, so little things like I turned off the instant replies on my DMs, but that was a boundary I had to set to protect myself. And one that I had to do to manage my own emotions and my own mental health. And like you said, the guilt, I instantly felt, oh, but what about the really genuine people who want to ask a question and they're not going to be able to now and yeah you know I do sometimes still have pangs of I you know I do want to connect with but I also cannot guarantee that it's only going to be positive things that come through and I have to do what I can to essentially protect myself and so I've been really mindful about how I you know put those boundaries in place and being online has definitely done that for me and then really identifying who is Jess what do I stand for? What are my values? And we as a family came up with some family values that are really important to us. And that's our Jones family values. We all know them. And even when I now try to discipline the children, and I, I use that word mindfully, is we go back to our values. Yeah. What, what does this mean? So that Sophia understands. So the other day she was talking in the online chat at school and she wasn't supposed to be nothing negative. They were sending emojis as you do. And, you know, she was like, but everybody was doing it. And I said, okay, well, what's our top value? Well, you've got to be responsible for your actions. And I was like, so you're responsible for your actions. Yeah. But everyone was doing it. That's great. But we're not responsible for everyone else's actions, are we? No. Who are we responsible for? Our own actions. And that means I'm not responsible for her. She's not responsible for mine. It's your accountability for yourself and yeah. then what you stand for and what you can and can't do so that anybody else comes in. You're like, cool. Like that, that's, that's not about me. <laughs> no, it's just about you. <laughs> exactly. But then also you're raising a child who then doesn't take responsibility for someone else. Because mm. I think that also is a thing women do a lot, which they don't need to. And it's almost like, the stereotype of that that parent who's like unloading the dishwasher every day and being like no one's helping me and like the family just turn around being like you never asked for help like (laughs) i'm laughing i'm like oh that is me i feel so seen But, but we've been trained to be this way like we have been trained to be like martyrs and to be self so so self sacrificing with no own needs or no like none of our own emotions when actually if you're that self-sacrificing you will have resentment that's how it works because you have to push your own needs down and that's that's the danger because when you have resentment it's for me that's a real emotion that stings it stings because it grows and it buries and it can get masked so easily with so many other things and then when it does come out it's really vicious and really and it can be really really poisonous to your relationships because it's something that festers for so yeah. long and then when it does come out you're so angry and so bitter and me and Trevor have had to deal with it in our marriage where we've been really resentful of the other one but we've just carried on with the day-to-day and then I've literally looked at him across the room and I can just see him breathing and I'm like like, <laughs> why are you doing that? And also, sometimes the resentment doesn't actually come out about the actual issue, which means how the hell are you meant to solve it when it's not even about that? Like, it could come out again about the bloody dishwasher. Yeah. And like, it's not about the dishwasher. It's something that happened yeah. five days ago, but yeah. like, or five months ago, five years ago. But it, that's why saying what you mean and meaning what you say it sounds simple but it took me five years to learn and it changed my life like the main thing I want to get across when I talk about boundaries is that 
you can't teach boundaries without communication. Mm. And so much of this narrative that I'm seeing online is like, cut them out. You don't need them, blah, blah, blah. Humans need other humans. Like, let's not become this individualistic culture that doesn't rely on another person and doesn't ask for help. What I'm saying is you can cut that person out of your life, but first you better have a conversation with them where you've set the boundary, given them the opportunity to change. And if they don't, then you cut them out. You don't cut them out out of fear. And so this is when this like dumping mentality is out of fear. It's out of running away from hard conversations. And mm-hmm. it's just not what boundary setting is. It might be cutting people out, but it's not boundary setting. And one of the common questions I get around, like, and cutting people out is the most extreme form of boundary setting. I have done it like probably over 10 times, at least in my friendships, done it multiple times within my relationships. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've cut out every ex, obviously, because I'm single. So <laughs> that's like <laughs> enough people in itself. But that's the last resort once the boundary is not being respected. It's not the first resort. And when it's the first resort, that is done out of fear of intimacy, fear of rejection, fear of a million and different ones different things that you are not growing by doing that and I get asked a lot when you cut people out have you ever regretted cutting anyone out and there is only one person who I regret cutting out and it's because I didn't set boundaries with her it wasn't me setting boundaries and therefore cutting her out it was me I mean to be honest how the friendship ended was us yelling at each other with my two other housemates, me slamming the door oh, and never coming back. Um, and I didn't see her for two years after that. She's now my best friend again. But like we had to sit, we sat down for three hours in the back of a club when we, the first time we saw each other after two years. And we went through every single part of that conversation and went, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said this. I'm sorry this happened. This was because of this. And we went through all of it. And so the only time that I've cut, I've cut someone out and regretted it is when I've done it out of anger. If you set boundaries, someone continues to cross your boundaries and you cut them out, you will never regret that. I have never regretted any of the other people I've cut out since because that was done the right way. And the first time was done the very, very wrong way. That is like an example of use my mistake as a learning lesson. I've used it as a learning lesson because I've never done anything since. And actually, one of the things that came out of that moment is I literally walked, slammed that door, walked out of that door. And the first thing that came into my mind was I never want to speak to another human like that. I was I was yelling like my neighbours. Yeah. And <laughs> I walked out of the door, genuinely the first thought was like, I wasn't, I wasn't proud to be that person. I didn't want to be that person. And I went, I don't know how that just happened and how I just did that, like how that just happened between the person who I kept, it was my best friend at the time. And I was like, I, I love that person so much, even in the time we weren't speaking. And I was like, I don't know how we got to that point. But if I go back to that time in my life, it was a year of having my boundaries crossed in this entire house between the two ho- other housemates as well. And I never once spoke up for myself. So it was so avoidable. And if I had just set boundaries earlier on, it wouldn't have led to that explosive and also like dangerous. Like not, yeah. I wasn't, wasn't going to hurt any of them. No, but, like, but it's explosive. The emotional That's- impact though on that is still dangerous. And the, the mental impact that has on everyone when you just don't, have and you you might have had opportunities or not but when you don't communicate it like and i've noticed it now in relationships i have i say adult relationships i've all been adult relationships but like even with female friends i 
text a friend once um asked how they were and they said they were quite low and then i made a joke not about their lowness but my go-to is humor so i try and make everyone laugh and actually that wasn't the appropriate way that she wanted to be dealt with in that moment and she replied um, and said i love you but that was really insensitive and at first i was like oh my gosh oh my gosh i've upset my friend i've upset my friend yeah and i took a deep breath and i thought okay but she'd already cushioned that with i love you and and then i realized that wasn't and she wasn't saying anything horrible because i think when someone calls you out or puts a boundary in place when you're on the receiving end because we talk a lot about setting them but not being the person who someone sets them on with i was a bit like oh gosh oh gosh oh gosh so i took a deep breath and i thought okay well she loves me so she's not angry Uh, she's just making a point about how I've made her feel. So I just applied and just said, that wasn't my intention, but I really apologize. Um, And then I just was honest. I just said my go-to is humor. I wanted to make you smile. I wanted to cheer you up, but I realized that that's not the appropriate way you want to be dealt with right now. So I totally understand if you don't want to carry on talking at the moment, if I've made you feel a bit uncomfortable. So when you're ready, like, let me know and we you know we'll we'll kick this conversation off again and I left it and they didn't reply at first and I was like oh gosh and then the next time they replied they just put thank you so much for acknowledging that and then just said you know I didn't really want to joke but now I look back on it it was quite funny like I I totally get it like but I just was you know feeling quite down and I I didn't necessarily and like literally we've never thought about it or talked about it since but now I'm very mindful of how I communicate my communication style to make sure I respect that I don't make a joke of it it's not to say I'm never jokey with them but I just know in certain scenarios some people really want humor when they feel but other people don't other people want quite a, a deep conversation and that's the difference but it's just made our friendship so much better yeah and when you're on the receiving end, it's ne- it's not personal. I think it is and it isn't. I, I, I couldn't take that personal. She wasn't saying you're a horrible person. What you've just done is awful. What she was saying was, this is how I feel about it. Yeah. So like, it's not about you. It's about it, them. It's about them. It's, she was saying, you know, I love you, but that's made me feel like it was a bit insensitive. Not you're horrible. You're insensitive. You're uncaring. Because that's how we take it, don't we? When someone gives us, and I don't want to call it criticism, but when someone sets a boundary, you can often feel like they're doing it to you and it's really personal to you. And actually it's nine times out of 10, it probably isn't. It's just how they feel point blank. And but that's also, how they like to be. What I realized is people who are bad at receiving boundaries are usually connected to the people who are bad at setting them. Mm. And so a lot of the time when you are bad at receiving boundaries, the story that is going on in a lot of people's head, and I say story because it's not facts, it's the story you're making up is the fact that they're angry at you. But if someone Mm. set a boundary properly, and I'm not saying every boundary set is going to be set properly, but a healthy boundary that is being set won't be set out of anger. It will be set neutrally, almost as neutrally as you telling me your phone number. And so if it's set that way, the reason why your gut reaction is, oh, they're angry at me, is because when you set boundaries, you also worry do they think they're angry at me? (laughs) You're actually reflecting your own thought process. And so it's not about them. It's not what they've said. And actually, I think my dating life is actually the most positive um, way to learn about it. And I must say, it's a lot easier to do it with guys who like I'm ending a relationship with after two dates or like whatever it is. Like, because I must say, it's great practice. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great practice. But the thing that, the reason why I say that has helped me a lot 
is because of the responses I've got. And mm. especially in the early stages, I was so scared of, I, I was so scared of it that I would never even want to go on dates because I was so worried that I wouldn't like the date. And then how would I end it if I didn't like the date? And how do you tell someone after one date that you don't want to go on another date? And I would go into that spiral. And so when I first started dating, you have to confront that very early on. And the replies I would get, were always just like really nice and grateful and thankful and like oh thanks for letting me know because actually the alternative is the norm is people ghost so mm-hmm. after like one date or two dates that's what people would do and so when i would just let these people know they were grateful and so it was people like they were being complimentary in the final text, just being like, thanks for letting me know. I had a really great evening anyway. Like, I find you really interesting and hope you have a, a great meeting or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, realizing they don't think I hate them or any of that. I, it can be true that I had a great evening and I also don't want to see you again. Like, it's okay. And so having those positive responses built to my confidence when I I found setting boundaries in my friendships the hardest. Yeah. Also, because you know, you know people and it's been so long, isn't it? You've got a relationship established. So it's so sometimes really hard to have those, I say difficult conversations, but uncomfortable conversations that might make you feel a little bit awkward, especially if you're changing something that has happened for a long period of time. And also they know the old you, whereas like mm-hmm. these guys were not knowing the old me. So like, I always say you just set boundaries in the one area of life in which you think it's going to be the easiest. So my love life did come first and that drastically changed my self-esteem in itself because like when you start dating guys who actually are quite nice when you reject them, you're like, oh, wow, I'm dating a higher caliber than I've ever dated before, <laughs> um, which I know shocking. Like the bar is so low that I'm like, can't <laughs> when I rejected him. But that's how low my bar was, like before boundaries. Like if you have no boundaries and you start dating, you're going to attract like some pretty awful people. Oh, listen, let's not even go there, right? Because <laughs> my bar couldn't even be lifted off the damn floor. Like I can't, I look back and I think, Jess, what the heck were you thinking I I laugh about it nowadays and I actually include it in the book but like my first boyfriend I didn't answer his phone call once and he when I called him back after an hour an hour that's how long I was away from my phone an hour he went oh that's so strange we're usually at my beck and call and I thought I didn't even I didn't get annoyed at it I just I didn't even think that it was a insult or the fact that that said anything about me now i look back at it and i'm like i was at his beck and call he had the nerve he had the audacity to say to my face i was at his beck and call he shamelessly said it to my face and i did not react because i just accepted it like you look i'd find that now that i'm so reflective on so many scenarios and situations where i'm like I always say to people, like one of the things I get, oh, I, you know, my boss did this, or I'm annoyed at this, or this happened. And I think if you walk away from a situation and you're like replaying the argument in your head, but like saying all the things you never said, yeah. then you can go back and set a boundary. Like if, if you walk you away can. from that, you and you can, yeah, later. of course you can. You don't have to do it in that moment. It's like, for me personally, I'm quite a reactive person. So sometimes it is better for me to walk away, have a moment to reflect on it, even write it down and then go back when I'm in a, a position to have that conversation calmly and amicably where it doesn't get really emotive and you know frustration and there's a lot of emotions in 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 the kind of in the room but i always say to you if you walk away and you're like 
no, I wish I said this. And you're replaying that argument in your head. Think about it. What do you want to set as a boundary so yeah. that you don't feel that way again? And go back and set it. So when, when you go to set the boundary, the thing you need to focus on is the behavior change. So mm-hmm. you can get wrapped up in the nitty gritty of the conversation. For the, the situation I was referencing, you can say things like, hey, when you said I was at your beck and call, that's so not okay. I don't want to be treated like that. And I definitely don't want you thinking of me like that. You can set, set a boundary around that. But the behavior change you want is that they don't say better call again. again. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, well, I mean, you can't control what they think of you, but yeah. With any of other, those situations, it's about what you want to be different and it has to be really specific. So if your partner goes out late and doesn't let you know, is it the fact that he didn't let you know that annoyed you? Was it the fact that he was out late that annoyed you? Was it the fact that he came home pissed out of his mind? Like which part was annoying? Like mm-hmm. you need to narrow it down. But I think this thing of you can set it later is so important and i didn't realize this for so long because like you i'm quite a reactive person as you from my previous story i had quite a temper like i was a yeller (laughs) well actually i wasn't but that one time shows that i am capable of it and um so if you make me for react in the moment and you push me when i've told you to stop that part of me is very like the likelihood of me reacting badly is very high. So me stepping away is self-preservation at yeah. this point. So I am very good at like now stepping away, being like, and if you really push me, what I will say is you don't want to hear what comes out of my mouth right now. I'll speak to you tomorrow morning about it. Yeah. Like, and I always give a time and a date. Well, not or like if it's, in two hours, I'll say in two hours, or I'll say tomorrow morning, or whatever it is, so that it's not the silent treatment. It's not like I'm punishing you yeah. right now. I will let you know when I can talk to you. But and if tomorrow morning I wake up and I'm still fuming about it, I'll go, Hey, I know said I would let you know this morning. I'm still angry. Can I speak to you this evening about it? Or can I speak to you on Monday about it? I just want to process everything I'm feeling. And it means that I can actually sort out my own thoughts. And because it's not fair, it's not fair for me to give you my anger and ask you to sort it because you have no clue why I'm upset. I have no clue why I'm upset. When I react like that, I don't have a clue why I'm upset. It takes me a few days to cool down, separate my any any anger wounds that have been triggered because a lot of the time if it's like from zero to 100, it's because it's reminding me of a past childhood memory. And so sort that out, then be like, okay, what's left? Okay, what's left is I can take accountability that I should have done this and you can take accountability that you should not have done this. So now what I want is different is this behavior change. And I do that a lot where, and I do the replaying conversations thing a lot where I also go like, wait, that thing that that person said was not okay. You should never say that. So like I I had one of the examples in the book is a friend saying, if you're this unforgiving, you're never going to find a boyfriend. Like literally after a year of like, after I'd been single for about three years and I like had just said to her, I like, I want to start dating again. And I was like, uh, and like, it took me a day, but I was like, cause I I just remember leaving that conversation. It was like, something was really off about that conversation. I can't figure out what, like which part of it really bugged me. Yeah. And so I, I like I was like that was the sentence that really bugged me. So I sent a text the next day, being like, "Hey, that was not cool. You do not throw a piece of information back in my face that you only know as my friend, especially when you know I was going to do this like 
in my head at the time, especially because I had just come out of like an awful relationship and then been single for three years that I was like, I'm going to date for the first time in my life. Don't throw it in my face. That like, I don't need you to be adding a new fear to it that like, I'm so unforgiving. Also, don't state it as if it's a fact, like unforgiving and as an opinion. And it's also on a sliding scale. I could think you're unforgiving and another person could think you're the most obliging person in the world. Yeah. And also there's a slight projection there because you don't have to forgive anyone for anything to some degree. Like I definitely think forgiveness is for you. It's not for the other person. So like define unforgiving. If, if that means you don't put up with crap, which essentially is what some people would say is, then you have every right to. So there's some almost projection there. Like you're, you're going to be really unforgiving. Well, yeah. And I, and I don't have to forgive. I, I can, if that's a boundary I have and a way I want to be treated, I don't have to forgive or, carry on in that scenario if I don't want to well I think the way we talk about forgiveness is really part of the problem when Mm -hmm. it comes to this where yes I agree with some of the quotes around how like if you don't forgive someone they live in your head rent free and all of that but that's about your stuff so like yes as far as you've as long as you process your part of it and you've let go of it internally it no longer exists inside of your head your body and you don't have that recurring conversation in your head or all of those thoughts, 100%, you are fine. In terms of having that person back into your life, and actually in terms of whether you forgive them or not, don't care about that. This message that you're going to be this bitter person who like is going to be holding onto grudges for the rest of their life. I don't have that. I don't forgive a lot of the people I cut out. They did some awful things, which I I don't forgive them, but like, do I think about them? No, not unless like, they literally walk past me in the street. I don't think about them. Like, but I'm not mired down by bitterness and resentment and replaying conversations. They just are dead to me. Like, <laughs> they don't exist. Pro- but it's because you process them. I think that's the difference, isn't it? It's because you've processed it. Whereas if you're holding on to it, there is a reason why you're holding on to it. And that's something that you as an individual have to process, whether they're in your life or not. Because you can, and I loosely use the word forgive, but you can process something and keep someone in your life. You can process something and not keep them in your life. That's yeah. completely up to you. That's It's not a defining factor in in that but what you can do if you have that scenario is you know if there's a situation and someone's done something that you've been uncomfortable with you can forgive them or not but if you've processed it and then set a boundary yeah that's up to you to do that's what you that's what you can control in that scenario also for me the differentiator is if you bring up their name in conversation and i can go oh i hope they're well to me i've resolved it if you bring up their name in conversation and i feel this urge to be like no but you need to know what she did to me and blah 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 <laughs> why are you friends with her or blah, blah, like all that stuff which a lot of people do mm-hmm. if i'm not friends with her you can't either and if you're a good friend to me and you're a loyal friend to me then you shouldn't be friends with her either no let that other person make that decision for themselves and so a lot of the time, and I can think of at least five people in my life, I don't forgive them. Do I love them? Yes. Do I want them back in my life? No. Like I can love, all of this is nuanced. And I think it doesn't exist very well on the internet, but mm. I can love a person and not forgive them. And I can love a person and not want them back in my life. And all of that can exist at the same time. Absolutely. I'm reading a book at the moment called Uninvited 
by Lysa Tykehurst. It's actually a Christian book, but it's a brilliant book in general because it's about that feeling of being uninvited. And the chapter that I just talked about was exactly that. It's about when friendships, particularly, she talks about particularly friendships, but when they, I don't want to say go wrong, but when they break down and she talks about still being able to love her friend, but not have that yeah. friend back in her life because she's processed it and she does still love her and she does still want the best for her and she does still pray for her and wish her well but she doesn't want to be friends with her anymore. And that is totally fine. And literally at that chapter, just as you said that, I'm like, that is so affirming to me because that's literally what I'm reading. She says exactly that. You are allowed to love someone and not still want to be in their physical life or be a part of their life or then be a part of yours, but still love them from a distance, wish them well from a distance because it's about self-perseverance. It's about protecting your peace and it's about protecting yourself, which is why we set boundaries. Yeah. First place. <laughs> but I mean, it's so interesting how peaceful it can be, though. What's funny is that one of the friends that I cut out maybe like four or five years ago, a friend last week literally came to me having the same issue with her that I had five, four or five years ago. And when I hung up the phone and I like consulted through it, I was like, well, this is what I would do. This was the issue I had with her in the past and this is how I handled it and blah, blah, blah. All very calmly, all very peacefully. And when I hung up the phone, I was like, it, a, it was very curious to me that I didn't have a part of me that went, I told you so, I could have warned you. Like, I am actually so at peace at when I made that decision. I'm also at peace at the fact that my friend didn't agree with me when I made that decision. And five years later, she now agrees with me because she it, it directly affected her. She said pretty much the same thing she said to me five years ago. But she needs to experience it herself. She had to make her own mistakes. And you know what? I can't say her decision was a wrong one because how do I not know that the last five years of friendship that she had that I didn't have did not directly positively impact her life. And it comes from a very judgmental place when you think you know better for other people or you think your decisions are the best decisions in the world. I can't say for sure it was the best decision to keep that person out of my life. But I know that I was a lot happier. The difference before and after, yes, I missed her. I sometimes still do miss her. But the positive impact it was by removing that from my life was like I noticed the absence of stress, the absence of bickering, the absence of all the reasons I got rid of that person. But there is no way you should be dictating that for another person. And again, that's bad boundaries. If you start telling your friends who they should be friends with, and same with boyfriends or partners, if you start telling your friends who they should be in a relationship with, and I get a lot of examples when it comes to toxic relationships, and I, I always say you're naive to think you can make them do something they don't want to do. So you can lose your own friendship over it because that's what's going to happen. If you force someone to choose between you and a codependent relationship, they will choose the codependency 100%. Mm-hmm. So let people make their own mistakes, do what you can to protect the person, but at the same time, let them make that mistake and let them learn from it because you go getting on your high horse and deciding that this relationship is no good for them doesn't help them and it doesn't help you. No, I would always say, like, put yourself in the position of being the child and the parent. When you're told not to do something, it just makes you want to do it more. So there's literally no point telling everyone what not to do because they are probably going to want to do it. Also, if you've ever actually been in that position, every time you talk negatively about that partner, they will defend them even harder than they were before. They might have been complaining about them before, but you then jump on board that bandwagon (laughs) and they start defending them. So if anything, you're pushing them further and further into their arms. 
That is so funny. Oh, I could talk to you forever. And I think there's so much, so much when it comes to boundaries. But we're not going to talk about it anymore because people need to buy your book so they can read about it. (laughs) That's what they need to do. Also, just on the book. Existing nonfiction. (laughs) (laughs) Just to say as well, this week something really exciting happened. The Glennon Doyle endorsed your book. She put it on a list. She didn't endorse it. That's epic. No, that that was a stretch. It it was on the same page as her, and she posted a picture of herself without realizing she posted a picture of my cover. But it's like the corner of the cover. But I'll take it. I'll take Take it. it. I'm on the same page as Glennon Doyle. Just take it. She is epic. And those who don't know, she wrote the book Untamed. I I think I'm on like, I I read so many books at the same time, I confuse myself. So I started reading Uninvited, then started reading Untamed. And then I've gone back to Uninvited because I was like, I need to finish this and then move on. So I'm like three chapters into Untamed. So I need to finish this one and then go back to it i really want to read uninvited but untamed was probably what it definitely was my favorite non-fiction book of 2020 but i'm gonna read uninvited that sounds like a great book it's such a book it is a christian book so there is a lot of christian reference and biblical i just swap the word god for universe and then i'm good yeah and 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 whatever people wanted but the actual premise of the book and the feelings that she talks about is brilliant and she just touches on things that just like totally make sense so i totally love it but where can people find you i'm going to link all of your sources below anyway but where can people find you i love you on tiktok by the way that's not my fave (laughs) well it's very it's half cringe half good stuff on there isn't that the whole point of tiktok (laughs) i mean yeah i mean honestly like people make fun of my TikTok half the time and I'm like well you're not making any TikTok so screw you yeah. <laughs> um, you can find me at Scar Not Scared on most things Twitter, TikTok um, and Instagram is my main platform and my book is called The Joy of Being Selfish and you can get that at all good bookstores WH Smith's, Blackwell's, Waterstones Amazon, all of them have it and yeah that's pretty much where you can find me oh and I have a podcast called In All Honesty I love it. And on a Monday, if you want to ask a question, head over to Instagram because you do your Monday Q&As, yeah. which I love. You are so good. You are so good. I always get really stressed when I do a Q&A and like panic, but you are brilliant. And I've become so invested in reading them. So I've um, become really mouthy. I have no filter. <laughs> but do you know what? I think sometimes we need that. We need, I think we're so used to sugarcoating and we're so used to, Again, it's that politeness, isn't it? Like, say it because you don't... But actually, sometimes we just need to hear it. Sometimes, and I'm going to say this, some people need to say it with their whole chest and they need to just be real with it. And you are. You'll just say, no, this is what I'm telling you because this is what I think about it. Here we go. Here's the answer. Because even when people ask advice, we want to be all kind and sweet and... Oh, but maybe... No, sometimes just say it. Just say it with your whole chest and get over it. It just makes me laugh. The most common DM I get is... So I followed you for a few months and I found you really rude, but now I kind of like you <laughs> all the time. And you know what? If you catch, if you send me that message on the wrong day, I do not appreciate it. So I was like, so what? You had to endure me for a couple of months? People's first impressions. I've never thought that about you. And I, I just haven't. But, but no, I, Because you've heard my real voice before you heard my Instagram voice. I think yeah. when you read me on Instagram, it comes across blunt. But if you actually know my actual voice behind it, it's, it's just the way I talk. It's not, it's not actually me being that blunt. 
No, but I also think, and I don't know if this is from knowing you, it comes from a, pa- a place of love and caring and abundance. It comes from a place of, I am happy and content and I'm sharing that with you. Like like a big sister or an auntie or a friend who would say something to you that would come across really blunt but would be for your own benefit. Yeah. It's that. That's how I see it. I don't see it as it's being rude. I actually just see you as just getting straight to the point, not sugarcoating it because it's Efficient. for everyone's benefit. <laughs> yeah. It's for everyone's benefit to just say it, get it out there and just deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best thing. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you for having me. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I will link all of your details below and the link to your book. And if you want to get your first book, because this is your second one. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> listen to your yeah, published author now, second book, whatever. No, honestly, I'm so focused on the second book, I forgot the first one exists. <laughs> um, Am I Ugly, which is also incredible, which people can also click the link below. But thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 